Today I'm continuing my message on the crucifixion, the study of the book of John. This is the second part of it. Jesus spoke seven times from the cross, sometimes referred to as Jesus' last words. That would need clarification because they are not his last words. They are his last words from the cross. Jesus spoke as the resurrected Christ and gave us his last words. Very, very important distinction. Those seven times that Jesus spoke from the cross are these. Let me show you. Luke 23, 34, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. Luke 23, 43, Jesus answered them, Truly, I tell you, today I, you will be with me in paradise. His words to the thief. John 19, 26, when Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. The fourth one, Mark 15, 34, at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Number five, John 19, 28, later knowing that everything had now been finished and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. And number six, John 19, 30, when he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Number seven, Luke 23, 46, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. I will be uh, speaking about four of those things today out of the book of John. But first, let me just talk about the prophecies of the Old Testament. There are over 400 of them that pertain to Christ. Here are some of the prophecies that pertain just to the crucifixion alone. It is one of the most amazing evidences of the validity of scriptures. So these prophecies... I'm going to show the Old Testament prophecy and the fulfillment in the New Testament. Before we get to the sermon, this is all introductory stuff, all right? These prophecies were written nearly a thousand years before the prophecy fulfilled at the crucifixion. Let's begin with the first one. Scriptures that prophesied about Jesus' innocence. Isaiah 53, 9. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Here's the fulfillment, John 18, 38. I find no basis for a charge against him. That's from Pilate, and he said that three different times. Scriptures that prophesied that Jesus would be betrayed by an intimate friend. Psalm 41, 9. Even my close friend, someone I trusted, one who shared my bread, has turned against me. Here's the fulfillment, Matthew 26, 48. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man, or a man, arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Scriptures that fulfilled that he would be mocked. Psalm 22, 7. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver them, since he delights in him thousand years before by King David in Psalm 22. Here's the fulfillment in Mark 15. They put a purple robe on him. They twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him. 
they begin to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews. Again and again they struck him on the head with a staff and spit on him. Falling on their knees, they paid homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe and put his own clothes on him. They led him out to crucify him. Scriptures that prophesied that Jesus would be counted as a criminal. Isaiah 53, 12. And Jesus was numbered with the transgressors. The fulfillment, Luke 23, 32. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. Scriptures that prophesied that the Savior would have his hands and his feet pierced. Psalm 22:16. Dogs surround me, a pack of villains encircle me. They pierce my hands and my feet. The fulfillment, John 19:18. Then they crucified him with him two others, one on each side, Jesus in the middle. And we know they crucified him with nails because later Thomas will ask to see the nail prints. Scriptures that prophesied that wicked men would gamble for his clothing. Psalm 22, they divide my clothing among them and cast lots for my garment. Fulfillment, Luke 23, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing, and they divided up his clothes by casting lots. Scriptures that prophesied the Savior would be forsaken by God. Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? And Matthew 15, 34, at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabbatani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Scriptures prophesied that his bones would not be broken. Psalm 34, 20, he protects all his bones, not one of them will be broken. This is Psalm 34, fulfillment, John 19, 33. And when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Boy, I just love this stuff. I'm not done yet. The scriptures prophesied that his side would be pierced. Zechariah 12:10. They will look on me, the one they have pierced. The fulfillment, John 19, 33. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing sudden flow of blood and water. The scriptures prophesied that he would be buried in a rich man's tomb. Isaiah 53, 9. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Matthew 27, 57. As evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body. And Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and placed it in his own new tomb that he had hewn out of the rock. Scriptures prophesied that Jesus would experience enormous thirst on the cross. Psalm 22, I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. John 19, 28. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there. So they soaked a sponge on it and put the sponge on a stalk of hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. I just stopped there because there's more. 
just to give you the impact of the fulfillment of Scripture. It's one of the most amazing evidences of the truth and the intricacy of Scripture. But let's talk about the crucifixion. The crucifixion is a very ugly picture, one that would, would turn your stomach to look at Jesus. It's very gruesome. He's hanging on the cross, nailed by his hands and his feet. He has been scorched hours before. And the fatal carbon dioxide is building up in his lungs as he is weakened and the muscles are paralyzed and he struggles to pull himself up. The only way he can get the life-giving oxygen. Here is the text we're going to look at today. It's John 19, verses 23 through 30. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled, they said. They divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. So this is what the soldiers did. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son, and to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, the disciple took her into his home, later knowing that everything had now been finished, and so that the scripture would be filled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there. So they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Let's begin by the four soldiers, because there is a quadrant of four soldiers that were assigned to carry out the execution of Jesus. This is normal practice for the, for the execution. The four soldiers divide his clothing. It was prophesied, and John is very, very carefully tells us that David prophesied this. Every Jew has five pieces of clothing. You have sandals, you have a turban, you have a belt, and then you have an inner tunic and an outer tunic. So they easily dispense with four of these, but the inner tunic is seamless, and they don't want to rip it to shreds. Believe me, garments in the time Jesus lived were very valuable, and you got them anywhere in any way you could. So instead of tearing this up, they're going to gamble. Well, Jesus is still alive on the cross. It's actually an unwitting picture of the world that we live in, a cruel, dark place. Don't think it's gotten any better, because this is a dog-eat world, and we see it everywhere in our city and all the cities around our nation the evil and the corrupt human nature. So John tells us there's four soldiers that are doing this practice of dividing gambling for his seamless robe. But he tells us there's four other people there. There are four women. And it's not by accident that he makes this contrast. Four men, four women. He tells us who they are. First, there's Jesus' mother. Then there is Mary's sister. And then there is a woman, the wife of Cleopas, and then there is Mary Magdalene. The four women who are there are definitely there as an unavoidable contrast, and the sovereign work of the Lord. The first thing we want to look at today is Jesus' final instructions to his mother and to John. 
So near the cross of Jesus stood his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleopas, and Mary Magdalene. Mary obviously is the one who experiences the most pain. She is the one who bore Jesus as her baby, and he lived in her home till he was 30. Her mind would have gone back to the day that her and Joseph took him to the temple in Jerusalem to dedicate him, and an incredible encounter of the Holy Spirit of all the priests, because there were hundreds, and there were literally hundreds and hundreds of people coming to this huge temple every day. But there was an a aged priest by the name of Simeon that God had arranged to be at the exact right moment to meet them. And when he did, he recognized that this baby was the Messiah, was the Savior that God had promised. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your soul too. It was there that that sword obviously pierced Mary's heart. But her sister is also John who was there. That's his mother and James. She was an ambitious woman. She had once come to Jesus and asked that her two sons receive the highest places of honor under Jesus. Jesus had rebuked her, but she had accepted the rebuke. And she's obviously there because she loves Jesus, but she's there to comfort her sister. There's Mary, the wife of Cleopas, probably the couple that we find on the road to Emmaus. There was a couple that Jesus came alongside and walked, and Jesus talked to them. It's a wonderful story out of the book of Luke. It's probably the wife of Cleophas. The fourth woman is Mary Magdalene, probably the woman that Luke describes in chapter 7, a sinful woman who comes to a dinner at the house of Simon, and she wets Jesus' feet with her tears and pours precious perfume over them, the whole The whole group is puzzled by the fact that Jesus will accept this outrageous behavior. But he says of her, she loves much because she has been forgiven much. These four women are very much hurting. But Jesus takes this moment to give some instruction and to comfort his mother and comfort John. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, woman, here is your son, and to the disciple, here is your mother. While Jesus is in unimaginable pain, he looks down at the two people who are very close to him, two people who stand to lose the most, Mary, her son, and Jesus, his beloved master, John is losing. As John and Mary gaze up, Jesus gives these instructions. It's clear that he is saying to John, I want you to take care of her as your mother, And to Mary, I want you to look to John as your son. The Bible doesn't tell us exactly what John did. There are extra biblical accounts that said that John stayed in Jerusalem and never left uh, until Mary died. There's another account that says that Mary died in Ephesus as John was doing missionary work there. But we don't have to be told that John would have taken care of Mary and that the two would have been in great encouragement to each other. And the chosen account, which is done very, very, very well, helps us to imagine what the conversations between John and Mary might have been like, because John could have learned so much of Jesus' life in those hidden years from Mary. 
John had his mother to take care of because she was still alive, but he accepted the responsibility of taking care of Jesus' mother. Jesus refers to her as woman and not his mother. Very well could have possibly been that he's trying to protect her because he knows there will be persecution for his followers. But there's a special relationship that is beginning to emerge between Mary and Jesus. The relationship she has known up to this point has been mother and son. But a relationship is beginning to emerge that takes the place of that now, and that is Savior and sinner. We must never forget that Mary is a sinner, just like all of us. And Mary is coming to the place of recognizing that Jesus is her Savior. Those four that are there, plus John, he's the only disciple who is at the crucifixion. All the others have, have deserted and are afraid to be there because there is great risk in being there, of course, and they remain behind locked doors in fear. But in the, in the following days, they would have experienced enormous enlightenment that Jesus had borne their sin, that he had died for them. When Jesus gave that instruction to John and to Mary, it was about the sixth hour and darkness fell on, on that scene at Calvary. And Jesus would speak three more times in the darkness. Matthew 27, 45, from noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over the land. So the darkness never came to hide Jesus' suffering, but to hide his agony of carrying our sin. You see, the Jews believed that if you were blessed of God, you wouldn't suffer. That hideous heresy still exists today. If you're blessed, you will not suffer, and if you're cursed, you will suffer. In fact, Galatians 3.13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. By becoming a curse for us, it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. Jesus becomes cursed for us. Jesus had never known anything but this open relationship with his father. In fact, Numbers said this is the way the Jews looked at an open relationship with God. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. But in this moment, the Father's face doesn't shine because there is separation from Jesus. And darkness, it's midday and darkness covers this whole place. It would be eerie. We experienced that at the eclipse a few years ago. It was an eerie feeling. Even that was prophesied. The prophet Amos said, In that day, declares the sovereign Lord, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. It was the moment of separation. And the pain of the nails in his hands and feet paled with the pain of being separated from his father. Jesus expresses that pain in these words. Matthew 27, 46, about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabbathani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, following, following those words, in the darkness, Jesus speaks three more times, and that's what I would like to address. He says, I thirst. He says, it is finished. And he says, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. Let's begin with the first one, I thirst. And it's in our text, John 19, 28. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished, and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, 
this cheap wine mixed with vinegar, sour wine that the soldiers drink, the Roman soldiers. So they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge in the stalk of hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. This thirst that Jesus exhibits on the cross is a picture of the thirst of man, man and woman in this world without God. It's an inexhaustible thirst. It doesn't matter how much you look, how much you gain, or how far you go. You will always thirst without God. Matthew Henry, who has a commentary, he was a Puritan, he has a good, good commentary. He writes this, The torments of hell are represented by a violent thirst in the complaint of the rich man. This is in the book of Luke 16. In the complaints of the rich man who begged a drop of water to cool his tongue. To that everlasting thirst we have all been condemned if Christ had not suffered on the cross. That was our thirst that Jesus took for us. What happened in that moment when Jesus expressed the separation, there's no, no person has ever felt the complete separation of God, even Hitler or Nero, the worst of human beings, because God's presence is here. Only Jesus has felt the complete absence of God's presence for those few moments. But what happened in that darkness, in that moment, is that Jesus bore our sin and suffered our penalty. Paul says it like this, 1 Corinthians 15, 3, For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He actually died, and that's very important. All the writers of the Scriptures want us to know that Jesus died bearing our sins. Even the wine vinegar that was lifted up bears a parallel to the Old Testament. Do you remember the last plague in Egypt? The firstborn would die. Of Israelites, Egypt's animals, there was one provision that you could be saved, and that is you had to take a lamb, and this lamb had to be slain, and you had to catch the blood in a basin. They did take that blood, and you, you didn't go to the hardware store. You didn't go to Lowe's or Home Depot and buy a paintbrush. You cut a, a stalk of hyssop, and it has a flowery, a flowery top. And you would take the, the stalk of hyssop, you would dip it in the blood, and you would paint the top around the door. And if you were in under that blood, you would be saved. So even lifting up the hyssop to Jesus with the sponge on the end of it is a parallel to Jesus saving us by his blood. The second thing that Jesus speaks in the dark are these words, it is finished. Verse 30, when he had received the drink, he said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up the spirit. John actually translates this into Greek. Jesus spoke it in Aramaic, but he translates it into Greek. And it's in the New Testament force as telestai, which actually means paid in full. It's interesting that archaeologists, modern archaeologists, have actually found papyrus documents nearly 2,000 years old today, and they have the words telestai written across them, paid in full. In Argentina, in many countries, but in Argentina, you hardly can buy anything without going to the teller and paying for it, and then you take your receipt over to pick up the merchandise. 
We have a few stores like that, but not many. But you take it and the receipt that punches down with this machine always says paid. That's what Jesus was saying when he said, it's finished, paid in full. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we could be righteous. And then the third time he spoke in the darkness was the last time he would speak on the cross. Not the last time he would speak because those words are, are coming next week as we talk about the resurrection. Luke 23, 46, Jesus called out with a loud voice, not, not a weak voice, but he called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. So important to understand this as a believer, that the body died, but the spirit went to God. It's very clear here. Jesus' spirit did not die. It went to God. And for every believer, we lay our body down. The physical body has worn itself out. The heart won't pump anymore. The lungs won't function. Our organs quit. So we leave our body but the Spirit immediately goes to the Father just as Jesus did. The Spirit survives death, and that's where our hope comes from. The crucifixion is so important because Jesus died on the cross. It's very important to understand He died. He endured all the agony. He bore our sins. He died. And when they take His body down from the cross, they're carrying a corpse, and they lay it on a stone ledge in the tomb of a new, it's a rich man's tomb. No one had ever been laid there before. They rolled the stone in front of it. But three days later, Jesus will be resurrected. He won't need an angel to roll the stone away. The stone was rolled away so the people could look in. But he died, and he died for us. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper today very appropriately as we've talked about communion. So I'm going to ask those who are going to help to come forward.